that you have a Bible today because I'm going to be moving from Philippians. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Anyone? If you need a Bible. If all you have is a phone, eh, I think you should be raising your hand myself. But that'll do. Okay, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. We are actually going to be going through Philippians 2.18 through 30, but I'm just going to read one verse. We're going to spend most of our time today in this verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, meaning it's not a big deal to me, it's not trouble to me, but for you, it is safe, meaning it's good for you to hear it again, 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 again. Let's read this one verse one more time. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Lord, the safest place for us to be is in that place of joy in you. Please, Lord, I beg you, please, God, please, Show us what it, that means this morning, and I know that you'd delight to do so. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in our last study of Philippians, we were in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. If you just go back, let's read that together. It says, yes... And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So the Bible does teach that not only Paul, but every one of you is called by God to be an offering, a drink offering to God. If you were not here a couple weeks ago when we were in that verse, I recommend that you listen online. You are a drink offering to the Lord. Now, before getting into chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, I'm going to go briefly through verses 19 of chapter 2 through the end of the chapter. In these verses, in chapter 2, his latter, whatever, 10, 14 verses, Paul, he sort of hits the pause button. He's been talking to the Philippians about the life, death, resurrection, and the ascension, the taking up of Jesus Christ. 
and what that means for the Philippians and for you. I was just talking this morning to several people out in Dorchester and Roxbury on my own that God did not create the world and leave it up to our best guess to figure out who he is. He sent his son to live for you, to die for you, and to raise again from the dead for you. And so that's where we've been for uh, prior to chapter 2, verse 17, really to the beginning of the book. But here, he, uh, in verse 19, he sort of hits the pause button and he starts dealing with some administrative issues and don't fall asleep, please. You mentioned administrative or housekeeping items. Okay, time to go to bed. No, don't do that. So verse 19, let's read these. Verse 19 of chapter 2 says... But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. So what he's going to be talking about from now to the end of the chapter are the fact that he's in jail, remember. He's in jail, and by the way, he's chained to a human being, a a soldier. And nevertheless, he's filled with joy. What's all that about? Well, we're going to get to that in chapter 3, verse 1. But um, um, from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, because he's in jail, we're going to see he's sending people to the Philippian church because he can't go himself. He's chained to a man, smelly man with hairy legs. Not, this is not fun. But that's what, but nevertheless, he was chained and, and he is, we're going to find rejoicing in that place. Uh, and so um, he says, I'm going to send uh, Timothy to you, verse 19, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, meaning Timothy's going to go to them and come back and tell Paul how they're doing. Paul loves these people. We found out at the beginning of chapter one so much, it gave him physical pain just thinking about them. Is there someone you love like that? That, um, that's how much he loved these people. Verse 24, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Meaning, for all just their seeking after what's best for them and they're not seeking after what is best or what Jesus wants for them. Now, this is not an easy verse. Why is Paul saying this? For all seek their own. He uses the word all, not the things which are in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure why he's saying this, but the one thing I want every one of you to take from this verse is this, never stop doing the things that you know God wants you to do just because other Christians aren't doing them. And even, listen, you're gonna be around Christians who have been in the faith 10, 20 years more than you and you're looking at them like, why don't they care about this? Don't worry about it. You go doing the thing yourself. 
Just continue doing what the Lord has called you to do, what the Bible tells you to, to do. And so that's what I want you to take from this verse. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Verse 22, he picks up again talking about Timothy, but you know his, meaning Timothy's, proven character. That he is a son with his father, he served with me, as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Verse 23, therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So he's, he's trusting God that he's gonna get there no, he's not going to get there. He's going to be executed, but he's praying. Not all prayers does God say yes to. God has his own purpose, uh, and, and, and he's saying, I'm gonna get you shortly. That's not gonna happen. Verse 25, though, says, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I won't ask you to say that 10 times really fast. My brother fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So this is just another person that Paul is sending to them because he's chained to a Roman guard. He can't go himself. He's sending this man named Epaphroditus, verse 26, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Meaning, if he had died, if he had died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. So, those of you sitting in here, and there's some of you, if you think that the men and women in the Bible are like these men and women on religious steroids, they're so focused on God, they're not affected by tragedy or bad news, uh, you know, they just sort of keep on walking strong with the Lord, you're wrong. And if a person, actually, if a person is focused on God, they're going to be greatly affected by tragedy. Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave. Paul is saying here, if Epaphroditus had died, that would have been such a terrible blow to me, sorrow upon sorrow. Now, it's very interesting, just a few verses away, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says what? Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. But here in this verse, he's clearly saying that sometime life is gonna hit you hard, really hard. Now, God's call to you is to rejoice in the Lord. But that is not inconsistent with real life that there are times of intense sorrow and mourning. But as we will discover, the Bible does teach that it is always God's will for your life to get um, beyond that to the place of joy. 
staying indefinitely in a place of joyless sorrow. Never the will of God for your life. More on that later, a lot more actually. Verse 28 says, therefore I sent him, meaning Epaphroditus, the more eagerly and when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem, meaning receive him, I can't go to you, I'm sending him, receive him with gladness and uh, hold these men, respect them, hold them in high esteem, verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Okay. So we begin chapter three. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You know, I want to tell you God loves you so much. This morning I was um, out on my prayer walk and part of my prayer walk is I just recite memory verses. Second weekend in March, Calvary Chapel. Memorize your verses. Second Friday in March. And this morning, I'm in a regular rotation of verses that I memorize. This morning, I just happened to be in Psalm 32. Anyone knows how it ends? Wow, if you get this, I'm going to give you 16 stars. I'm just going to put them all over your face. (laughs) Psalm 32. So I'm reciting it. I know I'm going to be in this verse. And it ends like this. Last, Last verse of my memory that I was reciting was this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And the Lord was saying, yes, Steve, you've heard me. This is what I want to teach Calvary Chapel in the city. I already had a whole sermon about rejoicing in the Lord prepared. And so uh, rejoice in the Lord. And then the second half of the verse says, for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So uh, here we find out that there was another letter that Paul had written to the Philippians before. We don't have the letter. It's been lost to history. But we do know at least one thing about that letter that we don't have. In the letter he already wrote, he told them the same thing. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And then again, he says, For me, it's not tedious. It's not a big deal. It's really no trouble at all for me to write this to you again. But for you, it is safe. Meaning, you really, really, really need to get this. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, this uh, same verse, the Living Bible says this. The Living Bible has this translation. Do we have that, Wenley? Or am I just, am I going to recite it? Okay, it says, whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it 
again and again. Rejoice in the Lord. So now in Philippians chapter 4, the next chapter, verse 4, says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now I'm just going to start... I have literally, there's 500 verses in the Bible about joy. I'm just going I'm, I'm, I'm only going to put 450 of them up on the projection screen. Just kidding. I, I'm going to do about seven of them. The priority of joy that God has for you. So next verse, Philippians. Do we have that? Chapter 1, verse 25 this is Paul telling him what his ministry, the purpose was of Paul's ministry. He says, I know I shall remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy of faith. The perp- he's saying the purpose of my ministry to you is not that just you will have faith, but that you will have joy in your faith. 2 Corinthians 1.24 says this, We want to work together with you so you will be filled with joy. That's 2 Corinthians. In John chapter 15, verse 11, right before his body was bruised and battered and pierced for you, this is what Jesus said to his disciple. These things I have spoken to you Meaning, he's been preaching to his disciples. His, basically, he's been sharing with them. He's been talking with them for a long time. And towards the end, uh, or towards the, towards the end, sort of towards the end, three quarters of the way through, he says, I, these things I have spoken to you, that my, that, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, in John 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father, when he's praying to the Father and he's praying for the disciples, and that would mean you, that would include you, he says this to the Father again. This is right before he gets arrested and taken away to be crucified. This is what he's praying for you. I pray that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I pray that they would have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now listen, Calvary Chapel. The Bible teaches that among God's highest priorities for your life is that you have joy and happiness. Don't believe anyone who says God cares more about your, that you're holy than that you're happy. That's Nonsense. (laughs) The Bible says that part of God's holiness is joy. We just read it. Jesus says, I want you to have my joy. Jesus is holy. He is the definition of holy. And he's saying, I want them to have my joy. There are theologians. The most famous one who ever lived in the United States of America, Jonathan Edwards. He wrote, a per, uh, he wrote a book, and it's a great book, but it has a terrible title, 
the purpose for which God created the world. And, and what he says is the purpose that God created the world is, his, is to glorify himself and the way you do that more than any other way is to have joy. Every day. No dry season. Every day. And, and, and so um, right off the bat, I think there's two things that are very important about this verse. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, now, now there's two things I really important to understand. Yeah, number one, yes, the Lord's priority for you is your happiness. It may be his highest priority, but it is never at the expense of you obeying his word or at the expense of you walking in his will for your life. Did you hear that? If you're taking notes, please write that. Yes, it's God's priority for you to be happy, but never at the expense of obeying his word. So for example, well, I know my husband, he's never been unfaithful to me, but I'm not happy anymore. I'm bored after 17 years. And God wants me to be happy. Pastor Steve told me that. So I'm out of here. No, that would be disobeying God's word. God wants you to be happy, but obedience is the channel in which happiness happens. So very important. Some folks uh, um, uh, confuse that. Consider this verse from Acts chapter 20, one of the 550 verses about joy. Uh, this is Paul speaking before he gets to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to be grabbed by a mob who tries to tear every limb in his body off. It's a true story. Read the book of Acts. But before he gets there, this is what he says, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, meaning he's going from city to city to city. The last place he's gonna be is Jerusalem. Saying that chains and tribulations await me. So he had people saying, you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna have chains and you're gonna be hurt real bad, dude. Is basically what's going on. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. Meaning, listen, listen, meaning what? It means tribulation and chains are part of your joy. They are the road to your joy is what the Bible says. And boy, does that glorify the Lord. When you're chained up, you may be in prison literally. But if you are obeying the Lord, if, you are, um, if you're in the Lord, if you are worshiping the Lord, God's being glorified if you have that joy. He says, chains and tribulations may, uh, may await me. doesn't matter. That's my path to joy. I know that it is. That's the apostle Paul. That's the word of God. So your happiness depends on you staying in the will of God, which may mean and will at some point mean great suffering to you. Which leads me to the second point. So important that you understand with this topic of joy. So, 
Rejoice in the Lord. God's priority for your life, possibly his highest priority, is your joy and happiness. But the source, if you're taking notes, the source of the joy and happiness is what? What's our verse? What What does verse one say? Rejoice in the Lord. The source of your joy is the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Not, Not rejoice in your job. Not rejoice in your family. Not rejoice in your money, your power, your health. Rejoice in sports. Rejoice in social media. Uh, The verse uh, does not say rejoice. It it doesn't even say rejoice in the things that God has given you. And it doesn't say rejoice in obedience. It says your source of your joy is him. Rejoice in the Lord, it says. Now, I'm not saying that there cannot be joy in those things, job, family, power, health, sports, whatever. But but it's joy in the Lord, which is God's highest priority for your life. God doesn't value happiness for the sake of happiness in your life. He's not pleased with happy, that you're happy if your happiness is the source of it. It's not him. So, let's move on. What does it mean? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? <clears throat> First off, this is not my notes. It's speaking about a feeling. Don't let anyone try to convince you differently. Joy is a feeling. Don't let anyone try to convince you that we should live for joy but not happiness. There's nothing, the Bible never says that. Say, well, you know, it's okay. People say things like, well, you know, joy depends, in our relationship with the Lord, but happiness is in in our circumstances. Well, Jesus says in the book of John, when a woman grabs a newborn child, she's filled with joy. That's a feeling. Now, never decide to obey the word of God based upon a feeling, ever. That's why the Bible says, live by faith and not by feeling, by sight. But that doesn't mean you don't go after that feeling. That doesn't mean that feeling, joy, is not a thermometer of where you are spiritually in your life, because it is. Now, do I have joy every hour of every day? Certainly not. But I know if I don't, something's wrong, barring unusual circumstances of incredibly intense tragedy. It's a little different. But as a general rule, it is the thermometer of your spiritual life, your joy. So, but what does it mean? It means at least two things. Rejoice in the Lord. It means you rejoice means you, you're, you're, you're rejoicing. When it says rejoice in the Lord, it means you're rejoicing 
Number one, in who God is. So he is loving. He's so powerful. He's so filled with grace. He's kind. Bible says, even to the ungrateful and evil, God is kind. Now, if you're in a good place, that will make you rejoice. It's like, wow. That is awesome. Rejoicing in his judgments and his wisdom. Rejoicing in him because he's always faithful. Rejoicing in who he is. Regarding the God, man, Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in his meekness. He came, as Dan said this morning, the worship leader Dan, not as a lion. He will in his second coming. In his first coming, he came as a lamb. It says he came on a donkey that was borrowed into Jerusalem, meek and gentle. And it says in the book of Zechariah, carrying salvation for you. So, his humility, just rejoicing in that, just considering that, the God of the universe. The Bible says that he, he came, Jesus said, I came not to be served by you, but to serve you. And then he gets down and gets mud on his face, washing your feet. This is the God who you serve and worship. And, and when you get it, you start rejoicing. Rejoicing, number one, rejoicing in the Lord means rejoicing in who he is. He's gentle. It says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is not a hard taskmaster. That is a lie from Satan. The whole parable of the talents, a big part of that parable is about that. He's not who, the guy who buried the talent. What, what did he say was the reason he buried it? Well, you're a hard taskmaster. You know, you're a hard boss. That's why I buried it. That's not true. He's gentle, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So, number one thing, it means to rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in who God is. Number two, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? It means you rejoice in what God has done. And so, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians 3 Please go down to verse seven. In verse seven, the next few verses are tied directly to verse one. Verse one says, rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. How can I do that? Well, he explains in verse seven. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ of all my money, my position, my health, 
the, just everything that I had, the, 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 the value the world puts in me, the, the, my reputation, I, I consider them all like rubbish. Some translations say dung. You know what that means. <laughs> he says, that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, meaning trying to be good enough for God, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which, from God, which is from God by faith. And then verse 10 is, is uh, one of those best verses in the Bible. They're all best, but, but verse 10 says that, he counts all things rubbish, verse 10, so that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. How does Paul rejoice in the Lord among so many other things? Getting to know that, that Jesus, whose body was ripped open for him, Paul. Paul killed people. He murdered people. The blood of Jesus covered it, made what was... Red as, his sin red as scarlet made it as white as snow so that now he's running around as God's like number one representative at the time <laughs> preaching the gospel there were many but, 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 but I tell you he was chief among them and, and, and he's just saying this is how I rejoice I was a murderer and now I am found in him forgiven of everything and so then it goes on in verse 11, if by any means I may have, may attain to the resurrection from the dead, meaning part of rejoicing in the Lord is knowing he's gonna be resurrected, he's going to heaven, he's gonna get a glorified body someday. So again, what does rejoicing in the Lord mean? Number one, it's rejoicing in who he is, and I'm telling you there's an there's a notion that is infinitely deep if you're willing to go there and, 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 and what do you do with, with water? You don't dig it. You you what? Swim in it. If you're willing to pull up the water, he's willing to, to give it to you. But number two, rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in what he has done. So part of that, part of, uh, part of that is in rejoicing in what he has done. Part of what your time of rejoicing in him is, is realizing what that blood that poured out on the cross for you says it was a purchase price. It purchased things for you. Chief among is which? You are complete in him. You say, where in the Bible is that? Well, I'm gonna show you. Colossians 3.12, do we have that? Uh, Colossians 2.10, rather. You are complete in him. Just, just, just 
meditate on this. Let this one just sink in. I'm telling you, you can take this verse. It was actually a verse in a devotional of mine this week. Just take it and think about it. You are complete in him. What does it mean to be complete in Christ? Well, I tell you, the average man or woman, apart from Christ, and I certainly know I was one of them, has a deep-seated, deep-rooted, debilitating sense of incompleteness. I am not beautiful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not liked enough. I'm not admired enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not happy enough. I'm not important enough. I am not valued by people enough. I am incomplete. I'm incomplete. It's interesting because uh, some of the guys and I are reading this book and there's this quote in this book by this famous psychologist. His name is Carl Jung. This is a secular psychologist and what he says is, is the world is suffering from a debilitating sense of emptiness, of incompleteness. But Colossians 2.10 says what? You are complete in him. You are complete in him. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. And because of what he has done for you, you are complete in him. Another verse from Song of Solomon, which, by the way, is about a husband and wife and the courtship leading up to it. But the whole thing is a metaphor meant to instruct you on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, speaking about, chapter five, speaking about husbands and wives and their responsibilities towards one another, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. Husbands are loving their wives like Christ loved, loves the church. So that, and so that's the relationship in the Song of Solomon says this about you and Jesus Christ. Do we have that? It says very simply, no, next one, Song of Solomon. Mi amado es mio, yo soy suya. My beloved is mine and I am his. You can say and not be a heretic not be disrespectful. Jesus Christ is mine. Jesus, you are mine. And with seeking the Lord, with seeking him hard, 
He will get you to the place where you don't want anything other than that. Or you're happy with that alone. Jesus, you're mine. I want nothing apart from you. Is it wrong to want things? Is it wrong to want a wife? Is it wrong to want a husband? Is it wrong to want a job? Is it wrong to want a nice house? Is it wrong to want a promotion? The answer, yes, if it is a part from Jesus Christ. Jesus, you're mine. I want nothing apart from you. The Bible says God is a jealous God. It says that at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, I am a jealous God. I'm jealous of you. I love you that much, God is saying. He doesn't want anything. A husband, a wife, a job, a promotion, even health, even life. To be a substitute for him. That is called idolatry in the Bible. And so the Bible says that God is jealous and he doesn't want anything, anything to draw you away from loving him. What will rob you of your joy, listen to me, Calvary Chapel, is any preoccupation about something, anything, that you don't have. I don't have the money I want. I don't have the position at this company I want. I don't have the woman I want. I don't have the man I want. I don't have the ministry I want. I don't have the friend I want. I want a bigger bank account. I want a bigger ministry. See, that's what gets people like me. I want a bigger ministry. I mean, come on, more people saved. No, it's not. You just want a name for yourself, Steve. <laughs> you want something apart from me. Most famous psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. So you actually, get, this is not a new thing. Once you have the Lord, you have no want. And that is a place of joy. That is how you rejoice in the Lord. Okay, do we have enough time? No. I'm going to continue next week on the same thing, on the same theme. Why it's God's priority for you to be happy every day. It sounds scandalous. It's completely biblical. Happy in the Lord, walking in the will of the Lord. So will the worship team come up at this time? <clears throat> Important verse here, Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So everyone know what grieve means? It means don't make sad the Holy Spirit of God. So important thing about the Lord, once you're in Christ, you more or less never make him angry again. Because all the anger for your sin went onto who? Jesus. 
went on to Jesus on the cross. So the anger is really not part of your relationship with God anymore. So if you are in Christ, meaning you've come to the place in your life where you've made Jesus your Lord. The Bible says he knocks at the door of your heart. Anyone who opens, come in. You invite him in as your king, as your master, completely surrendered. I completely give up everything, give you everything. Come in, Jesus. At that moment, Jesus comes in, and you never have to ask again, ever. He's in there forever. You're as good, blameless before the Lord, prepared for heaven, as righteous as you'll ever be for all eternity. That's what the Bible says. And when that happens, when Christ is in your life, he's not angry with you anymore, but you do grieve him when you start being preoccupied. Can we have the verse again? You do grieve him, thank you, when you start being preoccupied, wanting something that you don't have. You do grieve him, by the way, when you sin. Sin is a kill joy. Why? Because really when you sin, whatever it is, you're stealing, you're fornicating, you're gossiping, you're trying to get something, you're trying to get something apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has everything for you. You don't need to gossip and pull in to try to get people's approval. You don't need to do that. God looks at you and he sees you just the way you are in Christ, the way he wants you to be, the way he's satisfied. Doesn't, doesn't want you to stay like that, wants you to grow because he loves you. His anger is gone, but he, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. And so when you find yourself discouraged without joy, first thing you ask the Lord why? What am I wanting that I don't have or how am I sinning in my life? It's almost always the kill joy. And just this past week, Stephanie and I spent a long time with a certain person, not in this church, never been to this church, but he's been a Christian 30 years and ugh, not a pleasant experience. And I found the next morning I was just discouraged. And I, I couldn't shake it. So I'm out walking and praying. I says, okay, Lord, something has killed my joy. What is it? And he just spoke to my heart. You think you're better than that person. You think you're better than them. You are no better than them. You know you're not. I was able to just say, you're right, I'm sorry. I'm less than them. And the joy just came right in. But when you are wanting something that you don't have or you're sinning, you're judging, you're, you're fornicating, you're stealing, whatever, goodbye joy. Because sin, when you sin, it's just a way of saying, I want something that God is not enough. He's not enough. He's not all I want. I want that too. So I want to, if you're asked to pray, please come up as we close today. 
If you would like prayer for this very subject, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. If you'd like prayer, because you're not in a place of joy, if there's discouragement, you can't shake it, you don't know why, you just want someone to pray for you, Lord, reveal what the source is of this discontentment, of this discouragement, of this sadness, of this depression. And we'll pray for you. If you want prayer for anything else, you can come up. But just know this, God's glory is tied to you having joy. It's not all about you. Your life is not about you. That Psalm, Psalm 23 continues, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I, not, I shall not be in want. A few verses later it says, he leads me on the path of righteousness for my namesake, no, for his namesake. Your life is not about you. <laughs> that, by the way, fills me with joy. I don't walk, I don't go through life because of me, it's not about me. He leads me on the paths of righteousness for him, it's his deal. Your life is about him, but he is way more concerned about you having joy than you are because it's tied directly to his glory. Because when people see a joy-filled people, they're wowed. So why? I want that. I want that God. That must be an awesome God. That must be, a, uh, that must be an incredible God. That's that's what it means to glorify God when those things happen. So if you like prayer, please come up. Otherwise, you can worship. Please stand. Father, I pray that you would uh, close out and just do business with us this oh-so-important subject in our lives, Lord. Close it out for us. I pray this in Jesus' name.